here. And today I'd like to just share with you and testify about God's faithfulness. It's been six years this month since I rededicated my life to Jesus. And in these past six years, it's been six years, not six months. In these past six years, God has shown to be faithful when I've been unfaithful. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So today I get to stand here happily married, a Bible graduate with the first baby on the way, all through God's faithfulness and what he's done in my life. So let's just get ready to praise the Lord. Amen. you but when I'm loved it just causes me to sing it just causes me to dance how many of you know that when someone tells you they love you 
You just get all in the inside like, oh, I'm loved. We want to dance. Come on. So I'm going to challenge you as a church this morning that this song is saying that God loves you. And that's true. No matter what anybody else says, God loves you. So with that in our heart and with that in our mind, we're going to sing. We're going to dance like he loves us. Amen. So if it causes you to dance, it's okay. Just look to your neighbor and say, they just love Jesus and God loves them. If it causes you to run around this church, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run. If it just causes you to jump, raise your hands and just shout out loud, we're going to do that, okay? All right, so when we get to that part, just go ahead and do it. Amen. No one else. No one else in love like I was made to I was made to We'll sing it again. No one else.
on church right now, let's tell them that. The one our hearts adore. Adore, Lord, we love you, Jesus. You're the one we want to love. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, it's
listening to you this morning. Come speak to your church. Holy Spirit, come speak to your church this morning. a good thing. Repentance is a great thing. Just sense the Lord this morning just wanted to drive you to the cross to lead you towards repentance, to lead you towards Jesus. And he's saying repentance is a good thing. So many times when we hear that word, we're afraid of it because it means that sin will be exposed. It means that we don't have it within ourselves to live right. And he's encouraging you. He's driving you to the cross. He's saying repentance is a good thing. It's a great thing because it recognizes the power of Jesus Christ. It recognizes the power of the blood of the Lamb. It recognizes that sin no longer has an authority in your life. This morning, if that word is for you, we're going to respond. These altars are open. And as the band gets ready to play the next song, no condemnation in this place. He's saying repentance is a good thing. It's a good thing for you, church. Give me Jesus, just give me 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So right now as we take communion in memory of what Jesus did on the cross, I want you to, you can be with your family as you, after you come up and receive communion and think about, meditate on if there's anything in your heart, anything in your heart that may be wrong that you need to surrender to the Lord. This is a time where you can repent to God if there's any sin in your life. This is a time that if you just have not been grateful to God for what he's done, that you can be grateful to God. So the ushers are going to help direct you as this band continues to play. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your body and your blood, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you could break it with me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we take this in remembrance of what you did, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, Lord, that you gave us new life by your death, your burial, and your resurrection, Jesus. You gave us forgiveness of sins, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't have had. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's just sing the song one more time. Sing that chorus one more time. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to sing this to you, Lord God, as we remember you. Hallelujah, we could rejoice because we have new life in Christ. Let's praise the Lord because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Welcome everybody in a Metro praise. Who's excited to be in church today? Clap it up. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, as you all remain in your seats, I would like to share with you the gospel, amen? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now many people you might know have said in history, have said in life, where is God? I don't see him. Where is God? Why doesn't God, God just come down? Why doesn't he just come down and make himself known? Well, the reality is, is he already did. He already made himself known. And even though this was 2,000 years ago when he died and he rose again, he still came. And this message of him humbling himself, becoming a man, shows who God really is. It shows the humility of God. There may be some of you in here who are saying, you know, you know, how humble is God, you know? How humble is the Lord? Where is he? But it says here that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to even be grasped and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus, when he came on this earth, he wasn't this rich king. He was a carpenter's son, and he was born in a manger. He was born in such humble circumstances. He had hunger, he had thirst, he went through all that. Hunger, thirst, pain, temptation. The Bible says that he faced every temptation known to man. Every temptation. He humbled himself so much that he even became obedient to death on the cross. And he didn't just do this for a show. He didn't just die. He rose again to give you new life. And that's why it says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you're in this place today and you haven't acknowledged how Jesus humbled himself and you have not acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity today. And we're going to pray right now. We're going to pray. And if you want to make that commitment in your heart, I'm believing that that God will touch your heart right now and, and he will hear your prayers. Hallelujah, Jesus. I just thank you, Lord God, for every person in this place, God. Lord Jesus, your word says that you humbled yourself, Lord, even to death on a cross. You made yourself nothing. Lord God, so if there's someone in this place who wants to dedicate themselves to you, God, I pray that they would do that today, Lord that they would say that you are Lord and that they would believe in their heart what you did on that cross. Lord Jesus, hallelujah, Lord God.
In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you want to make that decision, there's David and Monica in the back who will be there. They'll pray with you. And if you believe that today, we're going to do our confession of faith. And I understand it's difficult to see, so if everybody would raise up to their feet with me. And if you would like a copy of this confession of faith so that you can see it in front of you, raise your hand and one of our ushers will come to you and you can just have it in your Bible every week. Our ushers will come around and hand it to you. Hallelujah. On the count of three, we're going to confess this. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the word of God, just say this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the united church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. And if you want to dedicate yourself to the Lord, go ahead to David and Monica in the back as we greet each other. Amen. Welcome. Welcome. Grab a, a seat as you do. Shake another hand today. Tell somebody you love them. Welcome to Metro Praise where we love you. We love Jesus. Oh, praise God. Good to have you here this morning in the house of God. Oh, God is so good. I want, uh, as the band would you all just play something because I really thought that we would have brought this up during communion time, but we didn't. I really want to pray for the Gulf Coast this morning. 
I used to live there, and uh, man, I know they're going through it today. Some of them still don't have their electricity on. I just want to lift up New Orleans. I love that place. They're always under sea level. I can guarantee you right now there's people that have lost money. They've lost property. We don't even understand that living here. I've had to evacuate many times. I remember the streets being flooded in New Orleans. And so let's just pray for them right now. Father, we lift up New Orleans to you this morning. Our spiritual parents are over there, Sister Melanie and Brother Anthony of All Nations Church. They're offering meals today, recovery efforts during the week ahead. We pray for you to be with them. We also pray for Saints Community Church. God, with Brother Wayne and his team, uh, a, a tree fell upon uh, you know property. God, big trees came down. They're going to start uh, cutting down these trees for their neighbors. We just pray, Lord, that your name will be made great out of this uh, tragedy. It wasn't as bad as Katrina, but, Lord, it was bad. They're without electricity still, some of them, property damage. And, Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you today. They are on our heart and our minds. And, Lord, we just thank you for all the Christians that are out there today. So many Christian laborers are out working today. And those are just a few of the churches. The Vine, uh, Nola, the Vine, Pastor Corey and his church, I know, is reaching out as well, God. At least three of my friends are pastoring churches reaching out to the people. Just be with them, the families, and that community, Lord. They don't need any more trouble, God. They need your hand of blessing upon them. And not only just now for New Orleans, but all the Gulf Coast, Mississippi, Alabama, Grand Isle, God, where I always go fishing, my favorite spot out there. They got hit the hardest. They're right next to the water. I pray for... Uh, Oh, God, his name, God, slips my mind. But the owner of the bait shop there, uh, we were just talking together and how he had, when I was there two weeks ago, how he had rebuilt after Katrina. His business was good. Lord, I just pray you protect that business from any property damage there, Father. And uh, give him protection, his beautiful family that runs the shop out there and all those great people. Lord, it's, it's the house of prayer, church, where we lift up needs like this. And Metro Praise Chicago stands with your people. Even though we're not suffering like them, we stand with them today. In Jesus' name, and can everybody say amen? Would you bless the Lord for answering prayers? Amen. Just wanted to pray that we love New Orleans. We love you. We're glad you're here. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. is our main service. Wednesdays at 7 o'clock are our family nights and encounter nights. We have children's meetings for Royal Rangers Impact Boys and Girls K through 5th grade, basically. Come on out and check it out. And by the way, last family fun night, the one that just passed Wednesday, we had our largest attendance with over 100 people. Can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. Over a hundred of y'all showed up. I'm so excited about that. Pastor Berto's been rocking and rolling. We don't hear from you enough, Pastor Berto, on Sunday morning. So why don't you kind of come on up here. Amen. Is your wife, your beautiful wife with you, Pastor Gritzelda? She's in the back. Okay. Just tell us what went on last week, what's going on this month, just the great things you guys are doing on Wednesdays. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, last Wednesday, we had a uh back to school bash so we're passing out free school supplies and we had a cookout so we had plenty of food and i just want to thank for everyone that supported that and spread the word out because a lot of people from the community came uh, faithful came and joined us too so um it was a great time a fellowship people got blessed uh people received prayer and all for the glory of jesus christ amen so just keep uh spreading the word out and remember every wednesdays we're here to encounter the lord as well the last wednesday is uh family fun night Lord's blessings. What's going on this Wednesday? I thought something special was going on this Wednesday. This, this Wednesday is healing and deliverance service. 
So the first Wednesday of every month is a healing delivering service. Um, if you know anyone that needs prayer of any form of healing, any form of deliverance, please bring them. Okay, the Lord is here and the Lord wants to set them free. And uh, know that and spread the word out. Praise God. Amen. Let's give it up for the Aztec warrior. Amen. And let me just say this, because last week we had a healing, uh, you know, miracle service here. And some of you, you know, maybe didn't get your miracle yet. Well, this is what we do in our church. The first Wednesday of every month is designated for that. So this is what I say to everybody wanting a miracle. You can either just say, I'm okay with the doctors, I'm just going to live off the medication, or you can contend for your miracle, and every Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month, come to a miracle service, and at the end of every service, altar workers will meet you up here. And I want to just pause right here and explain this to you, because a lot of you are new to our church, and you may not understand altar workers. So I would like my altar workers just to come forward right now, please, and we'll pretend as if it was the end of the service right now, okay? So let's pretend the soft music is playing. We're going to, you know, close out service. Some of you may want to do that right now. You're getting tired. Nah, you want church. Come on, baby. So I want my altar workers to stand up here. I want you to understand what Metro Praise does, okay? We're not the only ones, by the way. I just want to share this with you. At the end of every one of our services, I call up altar workers. And what they're going to do is work this altar. We call this an altar because it's a place where we present our needs to God, Okay? And so last week we had an awesome time of setting up prayer stations all around this building where people could go get prayer. But I noticed that there is kind of like this idolatry going on. Let me explain to you idolatry. Idolatry is to make somebody else your God other than God. Okay? And what happens in Christianity is a lot of times we make the pastor an idol. So it's like unless the pastor prays for me, I'm not really getting prayed for. Or we make the leaders our idols. So the youth pastor, if you're a youth and you're like, if the youth pastor doesn't pray for me, then it's not going to happen. Are you all tracking with me? Don't make us your idol. These leaders, and they change week to week because they rotate, these leaders are trained to pray for you, have the Holy Spirit just like I do and just like Jesus had upon the earth. Don't make anybody an idol here. When you come up, we prefer you to stay with gender. That way, if you want to confess anything, you don't have to be embarrassed of the opposite sex, knowing about it. Some things are personal. We get it. This is not even necessarily a confessional. You can confess your sins to God, but you can also do it here for prayer and encouragement. But here's what I want you to understand. When we end every single service, they are here to pray for you to get saved, they are here to get pray for you to get filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues, boom, shakalaka. Our church believes in that. They are here to speak prophetically over your life, to pray a word. If you need direction, if you're not sure what God is saying, they're here to do that. They're here to pray for you if you're sick. And for everybody that was here last week, because the moment I left, I felt this in my heart. And I wish I could have just rewound the service and said it again. So I said, man, the first thing I'm going to do is I want to remind our people of this. Don't make anybody an idol, including me or anybody here. Just when you need prayer, you just pick somebody and get prayed for. Don't be like, oh, if pastor don't pray for me, it's not going to happen. Or if Ricky, the anointed home run hitter here, if, you know, he's a home run hitter for Jesus. It's like if he, if he don't pray for me, it's not going to happen. So you make an idol out of your life group leader. You make an idol out of this person. No, this church trains up disciples. We have close to 30 trained elders and deacons right now that all of them can pray the same prayers over you. So I want to encourage you, not only in this service, but every service that you ever come to Metro Praise. If you need prayer, they are here to pray for you. And I personally don't go down there so I don't become your idol. I personally stay back here so they will pray for you. So don't get offended and be like, oh, you know, Pastor, don't want to pray for us. No, I want to 
get you off the teat. Are you all tracking with me right now? Come on. I want to get you off the teat. The same Jesus that's in me is on them. And here's the thing. If you only think it can come from me, then I have failed the last seven years. Then the last seven years, I have failed, y'all. So really, I'm not as great as a man of God as you think I am. Because if you can only receive prayer from me, and I haven't been able to make disciples, Jesus made disciples in three years to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. If I haven't been able to do that the seven years, then I have failed. You shouldn't even want me to pray for you. Are you all listening to me? Can we give it up for all altar workers that are here every Sunday? Amen. God bless you. Y'all may be seated. Get ready. It's going to be coming in just a little bit. Come back shortly. Bring the boom shakalaka. And so we had an awesome service last week, and we want to contend for miracles, healing, supernatural works of God every single week. Amen? Amen. And then we got Elevate every Friday night at 730. Pastor Adam, tell us what's going on. This month, we have some exciting things. I always say this month, I'm not going to touch this. In October, the first Friday of October, we are actually planning an event to go out to the Congress Theater because they have Tripoli, uh, Lecrae, all nice. these Christian artists, the who's who in Christian rap are going to be there. And they reached out to us, and they're cutting us a deal. They're saying, hey, listen, we want you guys to come. So instead of paying the $20 at the door, what we want you to do is come and bring your students for $12. So they're doing everything possible for us to be there. So we're going to want to show up. So we're getting the announcements. We're getting everything, permissions list for the youth. That's happening in October as well as a joint service with Pastor Ellie, if he's here, he's not. But we got some things coming up in these the couple Wicker months. Wicker Camp is awesome. Let's give it up for Pastor Adam and Elevate. Good job, guys. Concert is awesome. Matter of fact, man, those are the best of the best. You can find all their music right now on YouTube and iTunes. Start with LaCrae if you haven't heard of Christian hip-hop. It's awesome. Man, God is doing some good things. Here's the new Family Fun Night. It's going to be Wednesday, September 26th, and it is going to be a movie night with games. So make sure you guys come out for that. We're in the middle of a series right now, Christ in You. So all this month we'll be going through the book of Colossians starting this month, this service. And by the way, I've got all my notes right now on my Facebook page. So if you want to track with me this month, I'm going to be putting all my month, my notes on Facebook. So it's okay to use your phone as long as you do it for Jesus because I don't want you to miss miss what God's going to be doing in this service. So it's going to be awesome. Here's our vision. Somebody say, love God, love people. Amen. That is the vision of Metro Praise. Somebody say, connect, mentor, send. Amen. We want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Connect you to the cross. Mentor you with the cross and send you out with the cross. That's why we're here. The first way to do that is to connect to life groups. Does anybody get excited about life groups here? Come on, is anybody excited about life, Chris? Woo! Amen, I'm excited. Here they are, meeting throughout the week. You probably heard about this before. They're home Bible studies, food, fun, and fellowship. Somebody's house there for you. I like to call them house parties. Amen, anybody like a house party? Amen. You got all different styles up here, man. Just check them out. Get involved during the week and feel a part of the family. Don't let the crowd consume you. Be an individual that is cared for and loved for. That's what we do in life groups. It's like Cheers where everybody knows your name. Yeah, I just brought it there. That was pretty cool. I just thought of that. It's like the Holy Ghost Cheers, right, my brother? And, the, and you would be like Norm. Here's Norm right here. Does anybody remember? No, Cliff. No, Norm. Norm. Yes. Just locked up. Thank you for laughing. You're like the only one. The rest of them were like, does anybody remember Cheers? Does anybody remember Cliff and Norm? I could I could be Cliff then and you would be Norm. 
Who's the hot one? Who's who's the uh, the, was it Tony? No, no, the guy, the guy. What was the guy's name? The bartender. Sam. This would be Sam right here. The baseball. No, Sam would be Ricky right there. Sam. There we go. So now, just by the way, just go to somebody's house and have fun. That's all I'm trying to do up here. Encourage you to have fun. Then, after you've connected, somebody say mentor. Thank you. You can find a life group leader to take you through our 101 book, one-on-one. This is our opportunity to teach you the foundations of Christianity where you can ask all your tough questions and begin to grow in Christ. And that mentor will stay with you for the life of this church. And then you can join the 201 class, which is a Sunday morning Sunday school meeting here every Sunday. And it's a fun day on Sundays when they come for Sunday school. How many 201ers do I have into place? Come on, 201 is blowing up. And then we send you out to change the world. And right now, Metro Praise is doing more around the world than we ever have before. And we're believing God for 100,000 disciples here with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it, can you pump your fists and say, let's do it. Amen. Now, here's something serious I want to share with you about this. Two of our pastors right now overseas are suffering dramatically. Pastor Madhav of Nepal and Pastor Edward of Pakistan, both of them are suffering persecution. Men with guns came to Pastor Edward's church, tried to kidnap him and his family. And by the way, the government has given him and his uh, family permission to carry guns and bodyguards. So our pastors in uh, Pakistan, they actually have AK-47s on their property as well because they have to protect themselves against these terrorists. It's that bad. And uh, they're actually now trying to start a fight, a feud, as it were, uh, between the local Muslims of their community and the local Christians. It is code red right now. And they're calling the police, but they said when they called the police after they came to their house with guns and threatened them and made a lot of chants, they said the police came and had tea with the terrorists and then just went home. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine somebody banging on this church door with guns saying, bring out your pastor, bring out your pastor. You call the police, the police come, have some in lotes with them, whatever, you know, some coffee, some Starbucks, and then head home. Wouldn't that be crazy? That's how he lives. Here's the other story. Same week, Pastor Madhav of Nepal has always told me that the Nepalese government, because they're communist, have always persecuted missionaries in their land because they feel the mission money will corrupt the local people. So they kind of see missionaries as colonialists. Like if America gives Nepal money, Nepalese people money, then we're going to control how they vote, control how they do things politically, and eventually America will influence Nepal. And so the communists hate this. They hate it. And they hate that we support Pastor Madhav. Well, he was being threatened by some gangsters that, uh, you know, if you don't shut down your church, uh, if you don't give us money, we're going to report you. Okay, so they were saying they were like thugs, hoodlums, you know, and they exploit these pastors. They're, They're just mean people. So they say, if you don't shut down your church, we know that you get support from America, not only us, but he works with other organizations. He went to Bible college here. He said, we'll report you to the government. Long story short, they didn't pay the bribe. They have been reported to the government. I just, uh, I lost contact with him for about six weeks. He just wrote me this morning, and he says, I'm in trouble for receiving support from you. Can you imagine that? Man, isn't that terrible? 
Here is a pastor in Nepal working with the poor and hurting. And because of what we do for him, and by the way, we have a computer that's sitting in New Delhi right now waiting to get sent to him, and we can't send it because of this nonsense. We spent almost $500 on a computer with brand new programs, and we can't even give it to him. Isn't this crazy from our perspective? Could you imagine that? We need to pray for these men today. Amen? We need to pray for these men. Let's pray for them right now. Father, we lift up these two nations where our churches are at, Pakistan and Nepal. Lord, first for Pastor Edward facing these Muslim extremists. We pray for protection upon his house and his family. We pray that their threats will not go forward. We pray for good men in government to bring peace. We pray for wisdom even among their bodyguards and local members who protect their congregation. Wisdom, God, to protect the innocent at all costs. And, Lord, we also lift up the nation of Pakistan that this wicked, violent spirit of Islam would be broken over them. They've harbored terrorists like Osama bin Laden. They've helped the Taliban. They're middlemen for Iran. God, we pray for Pakistan to be saved in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, we lift up uh, Nepal, a communist nation, the two greatest threats to Christianity, communism and Islam. God, we pray now for Pastor Madhav, who has been suffering with blackmail from these hoodlums who have now reported him to the government for receiving Western help. Oh, God, we pray for favor. We pray that the judges, the people that will review his case, will drop the charges. We pray that these hoodlums would be blinded to this church there, Metro Praise and Kathmandu. They would no longer see them. They would leave them alone. And that, God, they would even turn to you and accept you in their heart. And we pray, God, for this wicked spirit of communism that oppresses the people there to come down and for liberty to come and reign in their hearts through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? If you believe God has given us the nations as an inheritance, the Christian church, can you bless him right now and say amen? We're not colonialists. We're kingdom of God. We're not promoting America's agenda. We're promoting the kingdom of God, and we believe that will look different in every nation, but it will have the principles of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness as it has here. And we need to pray for our nation, of course. And I just want to ask you to support our church at this time as we get ready to uh, receive tithes and offerings. I know when you hear about what's going on around the world, it's like, man, can I do anything? Yeah, you can help us today to help them. You can help us by giving a 10% of your total income, a tithe, to the local house so that we can stay here and continue to do the great things we want to do here. And you can give an offering to the missionaries. And you can believe God with us that what is happening here will continue to happen over there. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And we just want to ask you to consider being a part of our charity drives. Uh, we have buckets, drop boxes now rather, in the back where you can drop off canned goods at any time and your clothes at any time in our Wicker Park camp that meets at 5 o'clock on, on Ashland hosts now the food bank for us and clothing department. And so we bring it all over there and needy families are going to be taken care of. So you know how you can help out now. Be a tither, giver of offering. And whenever you have those extra things, we don't have to give it to United Way. Those things are great. You know, just you can give it to your church and you know that the gospel will be preached through that. And I believe if everybody would consider giving a little bit extra towards our building and a little bit extra towards our missions, we could keep supporting the missionaries and keep in this building.
Next week, we're going to give you our financial update. We normally do it the first of the month. We weren't able today because yesterday was the first of the month and there was no way to get the reports ready. But I can just tell you now, we're in a season of testing and trying as you are as well in our economy. We need your help. So would you consider partnering with us and giving something extra, either towards our building and what we're doing here or towards the missions around the world? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Would you stand up and put a smile on your face? Just look at me and smile as you stand. Come on. Any cheerful givers in the house today? Amen. Is anybody happy we're making the devil mad? Amen. I'm glad, not that he's suffering persecution, but I am glad that people in Nepal know we love Napanese people. Even though it's being turned for the worse for the devil in his kingdom, I'm just happy that people know that there's people in Chicago supporting that man. And I'm going to believe, God, that he's going to get everything that God has for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for our finances. And, Lord, we're going through the toughest time that most of us have ever seen in our whole life. And, Lord, we need your help here. We need your help in Chicago local businesses. We need you, Lord, to remove the corruption from our politics. And, Lord, we need you to bless our children in their schools. God, even as teachers right now are soon to go on strike, we need it from our schools to our businesses to our government. Would you bless us here and bless this nation again, Father God? We don't side with political parties and agendas. We side with the kingdom and righteousness, wherever those principles may be found. We support life, Father God, and abhor abortion. We support, God, fundamental marriage and abhor sexual immorality that tears apart our families. Lord, we, we abhor uh, uh, violence and corruption, and we love honesty and justice and compassion. Lord, do it in us and through us and bless our children and our children's children so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen and amen. Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing today? Thank you for all you all do, for everything. From here to the missions, we thank you. God bless you. Amen. Can we even up the band this morning, rocking it out for Jesus? Thank you, guys. Be before I ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, I want you to do me a favor and just hear this as I was convicted, as I was just praying, that uh, I want you to understand uh, some of the difficulties we are facing in America and where some of those difficulties come from, just led of the Lord, I just felt it, just, you know, pricked me while we were praying. I wanted to share this with you. And I have a book here by J.P. Moreland, and I want you to hear a quote out of this book, if, uh, if I can find it. Because J.P. Moreland is a philosopher. He, uh, he does something called Veritas, which is truth in Latin. And he works on uh, campuses with Campus Crusade for Christ. And he and others, like William Lane Craig, go to secular universities. And they preach the gospel uh, to people that, you know, don't believe in it anymore. And if you didn't know, you know, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, all of these universities uh, used to be Christian. 
And so what has happened is over the years, uh, secularism or humanism, and, and they kind of go hand in hand together, the idea that, you know, there is no God, there is no ultimate truth, you know, this kind of deals with postmodernism, has slipped in even into our Christian universities. And a lot of people ask themselves, you know, what does this really mean? Uh, you know, don't we all just have opinions? You know, do we really need God to be good? Those are a lot of questions that are circulating uh, in, in universities today. And J.P. Moreland has this uh, thing that he picked up from a writer of Newsweek, and if you know anything about Newsweek, Newsweek is definitely uh, not a Christian magazine. It's, it's mostly a liberal magazine. But I want you to hear what this, um, this person, this writer of Newsweek said concerning uh, the decline in America and the decline in our, uh, in our education and why I think we are the way that we are. Would you just look to your neighbor and just tell them how nice they look this morning for a few moments as I just stall right now? Just give me a second to stall because I just want to find it for you here. It's led of the Lord. Just a few more moments. There you go. Did you stall enough? Did you have fun? Here it is. English professor Caroline Kane wrote an article in Newsweek about the loss of thinking in America culture, in American culture. So here's an English professor. She wants to know, why are we so behind educationally? Why is there so much corruption in our politics? Why is there so much violence in our schools? Like, you know, obviously teenagers know that a gun can kill. Obviously they know having sex can produce a child. But, you know, so why are we acting like fools? You know, why do we highlight the worst on, in media, you know, like Jersey Shore and all this? Like, we're obviously smart enough in a sense to know that's dumb. There's no good that comes out of that. You know, the people listening to, like, rap music and guys with gold teeth, and they come from the projects of New Orleans and places like I used to be, and now they're boasting about all this. Most people know this is the same as make-believe. But why is it we're so dull in our senses? We buy it anyways. We, we, we've become a, a nation of fools in a sense. And I don't want to be offensive, but just generally speaking, why are we so foolish? So she wanted to research this. She identified as her solution... In the forefront, God. This is what she was, uh, an English professor, and this is what she put before us as the problem, our relationship to God, and this is what she wrote. In Newsweek, she said, but how can we revive interest in the art of thinking? The best place to start would be in homes and churches of our land. So she went back to look at American history and where possibly we've gone wrong and why all of this foolishness is all a part of our daily life now. And she said it stopped being God, stopped being taught in our homes and in our churches. Literally, God stopped being the forefront of the messages of our churches. And the reason why I want you to think about this as we were just praying, I'm about ready to break this down for you, is that today, think about what you've already learned, thought about, since you've walked into this church. You've just heard an update, you know, the, the moment it happened, from Nepal and Pakistan. You just heard an update of what's going on around the world, because there's a relationship there, right? Before there was ever news, before there was ever Twitter, before there was ever Facebook, the place where people could gather once a week and hear the, the best updates was the church. 
And so the church stopped caring about the world. And so now you come to the church, you don't hear about things around the world. You don't hear about things that really matter. You're not hearing about the solutions to your problems. All you're hearing about is like some self-help message. Like, oh, here's how you're going to be happy in life. And, and it's so dulling to your sense. It doesn't make you think. It doesn't challenge you. Like right now, like you're, you're being challenged to think about radical Islam. You're being challenged to think about communism. If today we were lifting up the schools like we did last time, you would be challenged to think about our public school system because a church was the bedrock of that. Now, you go home. There is no cell phone. There is no TV. There's no computer. It's you had dinner, and there's a candlelight on now, baby. What are you going to do? You've got to talk about what you've learned at church, what you've read in the newspaper. Kids got to talk to their parents. And so you start to talk. You start to learn. Ideas are passed from generation to the next. Farming principles, agricultural principles, all of these things because we communicated so much. Now we don't communicate like that anymore. And why do I feel this comes in today? Not only for the missions, but you are now going to go through an in-depth study, which I would do the same like in a college setting for the book of Colossians, which some of you maybe have never even done in a church. You're literally going to go verse by verse and see the clear picture of the Scripture. The Bible is not meant to be read just in taking out your favorite verses and hanging up on your refrigerator and in your bathroom walls. The Bible is meant to be read in complete thoughts. As a matter of fact, as we get into the book of Colossians today, you can get free audio Bibles online. The book of Colossians could be played in an audio format within 15 minutes. You could hear the entire four chapters of Colossians in 15 minutes. And so if you're like me and you like to do things outdoors, walk, hike, fish, whatever, you can put it on. And I've literally listened to one book of the Bible like five times just to get it over and over and over again. And you see, back in those days, they didn't have all the writing materials and things like we did, so they had to memorize and practice memorization. And so the art of our memory has been declined because we don't use it. Anybody will teach you. The more you use the brain, it's like a muscle, the more active it can become. So I want to challenge you for this series, uh, you know, during the study of Colossians, that you would come here putting on your thinking cap, that you wouldn't think about using the mind as, as something like unspiritual. No, God said to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that the principles you learn here, you would teach them to your children and to your children's children, and that it would encourage you to memorize them and share them at work and let it be an overflow. And then if you can learn how to do it in this book of the Bible, because I don't have the calling at this time to go through every literal book of the Bible, but if you learn the principles that I show you out of Colossians and the tools of how to study exegetically, verse upon verse, inductively through the Bible, then maybe you can do that on your own as you read first in 2 Timothy and Galatians and Philippians. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So why aren't we thinking like we used to in America? Why does it just seem like common sense is not so common anymore? It's because we took our, our place with God out of the homes and out of our churches. Then, of course, when that happened, it was easy to kick it out of school, wasn't it? Because if we weren't praying at home, it's easy to tell us not to pray at school, right? Who cares about praying at school? I don't even pray at home. That's how it began to become. And who cares about having the Bible in our courtroom if we don't have it in our home and our churches anymore? Can you say amen? Amen. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Get excited today about a great lesson. Can I hear an amen? I just love you so much. I have to give you everything that I feel is good in my heart. And that just came while we were praying. 
As you can see here, we're going to do a split screen. I'm going to show you the notes that I have as we're reading through the book of Colossians. You're going to hear the first chapter read in its entirety today. We'll break it up into different sections. I have these notes already on Facebook. If you would like to go there, copy and paste. Or for some of you who just like to enjoy and listen, you can go back home, li listen today, and go back home over uh, the YouTube and listen to it and take notes. But I want to give the notes to you up front, actually, so that way you're not as distracted to try to catch everything as we go along because I don't just want to bore you or dull you with the details. I want you to hear the details as a foundation to go to the place of the revelation of God speaking it to your heart. It's, you know, you can be a New Testament scholar and still not know Jesus, okay? I, I've met some, all right? So I don't want you just to know all the details and that be the sermon today. I want you to know the details so you can receive the revelation. Somebody say, information from revelation brings illumination so I can have salvation to bring to the nations. Uh, Y'all didn't think I could drop it like that, did you? You just were just following me, and all of a sudden it was like, man, that's pretty cool. Let's say it one more time. Information from revelation brings illumination to my salvation to bring to the nations. Amen. Colossians. Amen. Here we go. We're going to scroll through the notes really quick. Like I said, I want to give you these details so you can hear the revelation and bring illumination. Here it is. The book Colossians was written in 62 AD by Paul with his spiritual son, Timothy operating as his assistant. It was written in Rome. Most likely Paul was in prison at this time, already arrested, and he was in Rome. These are called the jailhouse letters. So how would you like to have your pastor be in jail? You know, this is not the bad reasons, though, by the way, okay? This is not stealing money or hurting little people, you know, hurting children, God forbid. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, but uh, he was in jail nonetheless. Uh, number four, it was written to the city of Colossae. Everybody say Colossae. Colossae was a small town 100 miles east of Ephesus. So when you think of the book of Ephesians, these are kind of like... Uh, Cousins, siblings in a sense, of their location in the same area. Colossi, a Colossi, small town 100 miles east of Ephesus, along a trade route of the Lycus River from the Aegean Sea, 10 miles away from Laodicea. So they were right next to Laodicea, if you remember that in the book of Revelation. Laodicea was a backslidden church, but it was also a church at one time under the call of, uh, of Paul's apostleship. was a part of the Perigea province of Rome, which is now modern-day Turkey. So the basic idea of here is that it was along a trade route. See, Ephesus was right on the Aegean Sea, and then the river ran down into the heartland, and this was one of the towns off that river, and you're going to know why that's important to Ephesus, because the establishment of the Colossi Church most likely came from Epaphras. Everybody say Epaphras. Thank you, Epaphras, who's mentioned in the letter. He visited Paul while he was in Ephesus for three years, while Paul was there from 52 to 55 A.D., and brought back the gospel to his town. So more than likely, uh, Epaphras, he lives in Colossae. He goes down this river to do things in Ephesus at the Aegean Sea. He hooks up with Paul, who Paul is preaching there for three years. That's the longest place Paul was preaching. He hears the gospel, and he's like, man, i got to bring this back to my friends. And he brings it to Colossae, and that's how the church started. Uh, and therefore, we know that Paul never even went to Colossae, but he oversaw that church. That actually applies to us in some ways because we oversee churches that we still have not yet got to visit, places like Nigeria and the Philippines. Okay, so that was the establishment of the church. Uh, number seven, the religious background of the people that are being written to are mostly pagan with some Jewish transplants. And that's the same as in Ephesus, mostly pagan culture here with a minority of Jewish believers. 
Uh, the main three reasons why he writes this letter we know now as Colossians is to, number one, strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to hear a lot about Jesus in this book. How many love Jesus? Amen. He strengthens their faith in Jesus. He corrects false doctrine. There was false doctrine that day. The scholars don't know for sure which form it was, partially Gnosticism, partially Judaizer. Gnosticism basically taught that Christianity was just a mystical experience and you could live morally however you want. Very similar to the liberal church today. As long as Jesus is in your heart, you can do whatever you want, you know. Just Jesus loves me, you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of how the Gnostics operated. And then the legalizers, the Judaizers, were on the totally other extreme. They were saying that the Old Testament law had to be followed completely to please Jesus. So you had to be circumcised if you were a, a, a Christian. So imagine some of the uncircumcised people here today. Imagine us saying, you, you got born again? Okay, it's time to go to the bathroom and get circumcised. Literally, they were circumcising grown men. They were teaching them to follow the dietary laws. That means no more lechon, no more pork, y'all, no more shrimp for me, you know, all of that. So, number one, teach about Jesus. Number two, correct false doctrine. Number three, instruct on godly living. When you now look at the three, uh, excuse me, the four main sections that we're going to see today, the book of Colossians, uh, the first chapter is broken up into four sections. I like to use the NIV breakdowns. It makes it easy for us. So does the expositor's commentary. If you guys want to read on your own and also look at commentaries. The first section, Colossians chapter 1, 1 through 2, is the introduction. He says, we are called holy and faithful, and we're given the grace and peace of Jesus. That's something to get excited about. Amen. Colossians 1, 3 through 14, we are continually to be filled with the knowledge of God's truth and knowledge and, and, and through, uh, excuse me, we are continually to be filled with the knowledge of God's truth through practical wisdom so we may walk worthy of the Lord and praise him in every way. How many want to please God in every way? So you need to be filled with this kind of knowledge. The way it works is the more you know, the more you can do. And the more you do, the more you please him in that sense. Not for salvation, just the more you're doing, pleasing him, knowing the right thing at the right time. Number three, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, you learn that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, the creator of all things, and the perfect Savior of the world. He is not just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet as Islam teaches or Jehovah Witnesses say he was an angel that came down and lived among us, you learn that he is equal to the Father. He is the exact image of the Father. He's the creator of all things. He sustains all things. It's all about Jesus. Can I hear Jesus in the house? Come on, say his name again, Jesus. Thank you. The number four, Colossians 24 through 29, ends the chapter by speaking of the mystery of the Old Testament, which is Christ living in both Jews and Gentiles, has been fulfilled now by faith in the gospel. And so Jesus promised this in John 14, 23, and the prophets, Jeremiah and specifically Ezekiel, promised this, that one day God would live within his people, and not only would his people be Jewish, they would be Gentiles. Now, if you are here and you are Jewish birth, this promise was an obvious one to you, but the mystery was that it was going to happen in Gentiles. The other mystery was is that it wasn't going to happen at Armageddon. Jesus was going to live in you on this earth. So the Jewish people expected God to be with them and live in them, only them, the Jews, and only after Armageddon, the world has been ended. But the mystery now has been made clear, made, made open, the secrets being told, that it's not just for Jews, uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people will have Jesus live in them. And the kingdom of God, the living in them, Jesus in them, is not at the end of the world. It's here right now, baby. The kingdom is nigh even next to your heart. Can you say amen? 
Okay, the takeaways that I want you to get from this, and this is where I'm going to preach today after we've read, the takeaways I want you to get is, number one, to believe the gospel. Colossians 1.5, to put your faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, believe the gospel. Number two, believe Jesus is God. Be sure in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is because that is a part of your salvation. You need to believe who he is. Number three, believe Jesus is in you and you are now holy. One of the parts you're going to learn here is, that all the good deeds you could ever do as a sinner will never make you holy. But the day you accept the gospel and are born again, then you are made perfectly holy in Jesus. You may not always live out perfectly, but you have been perfectly saved on the inside. That's important to know because in your mind, if you're always striving to be saved, striving to be better, you'll never, you'll never reach a point where you are. But if you know you are saved, then you will live like you're saved. And that's the principle he'll give you throughout this book is that you are you are changed so live like it can I hear an amen and then number four walk worthy of the Lord in all practical ways by his power Colossians 1:10. you will then and I have two threes up there but it's supposed to say four you will then see how to walk this out and to live it if you're ready somebody say I'm ready amen literally that was just what come on some of y'all sleeping that was just what amen come on let's read verses one and two the book of Colossians Paul an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul immediately introduces himself and the authority that he has. He is an apostle, apostolos in the Greek. He is one sent by God to do this work of planting churches. And to make an application, when we started this church here, I was sent by God. I am not a Chicago native. God sent me from uh, Fort Wayne to New Orleans, New Orleans to Chicago to start this church. I'm not saying I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm just saying I can relate to being sent. Anytime we start new churches, like we send out into a Wicker Park, that is the work of an apostle. He then says that it's of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The of Christ Jesus, apostle of Christ Jesus, tells you what kind of apostle is he. There are salesmen right now sent out to knock on your door and sell you things. There's people trying to start businesses, cell phone stores, and all these different things. Paul was saying, my business is of Christ Jesus. The takeaway that you can have from that is that your business needs to be about Christ Jesus. Even though you may be in this world operating in business, in the secular world, if you put God's business first, he'll make you first in your business. I'm going to say that again. If you put God first in your business, he will make you first in your business. See, you're going to have to make money somehow in this world. You're going to have to sell goods, you know, you know, uh, you know be a part of the economy. And those of you who are doing that, if you say everything I do is unto God, I'm going to put him first in this job. I'm going to ask him for favor. I'm going to ask him for wisdom. And this doesn't mean you becoming a fruit nut or a flake on your job. I'm like, woo, I feel Jesus. I'm going to get a sale over here, you know, like weirding everybody out. But if in your heart you're just like, God, today's the day you made. Make me successful here. Make me a great teacher. Make me a great, you know, construction work or whatever you do you ask God to be number one that day he'll make you number one in what you do he'll make you successful he'll give you opportunities to succeed not to the lazy but to the hard working God will bless you be about Christ Jesus's business Matthew 6 seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you do I have anybody here that want to be successful in life can I hear an amen be about Jesus Christ and through the will of God. It's not your will but his will. 
How are you going to do things in life? You have a will, don't you? You have willpower. Sometimes we don't do so well. Tomorrow we may not, we might just have to throw that out the window, won't we? Come on, once the barbecue starts and once the food comes out, we're like, no willpower today. Just feed me. I think I can fit a little more. <laughs> I don't know where I come up with those. That was crazy, but I did it. Anyways, it's not your will, but his will. That's what Paul is saying. I'm doing this because God told me to do it. I'm in jail. Like, he's in jail right now. And you can basically hear from other letters. He's like, if it was my choice, I wouldn't want to be in jail. But I'm serving God and serving God led me this way. And so you have to make a decision to take away here is that when you are of Christ Jesus, you do things his way. Your will, you may be willing to marry a person that God says don't. So it's got to be not my will, but his will. Come on, somebody. It may be your will to take a job, take a lo- you know, li- move to a location, do a such and such a thing. And God may say, no, don't do such a thing. So make your life about Jesus Christ and make his will your will. And how do you develop a, a, a knowing of the will of God? How do you tune in to that radio station in your heart? The way I look at our heart is like a radio receiver. We're always hearing the signal from the devil, and that's like the AM radio. It's nasty, the devil. And then we got like FM Jesus is like party rock Jesus, you know. And then our own thoughts, you know, can be some other station, you know, XFM or something, you know. And so you always got like these three types of, you know, bandwidths you can tune into. You got to learn in your relationship with God to know what's the devil. That's dumb. I'm not doing that. These are my thoughts. I got to ask God. God, if these are good thoughts to have, and then what is God's thoughts where I just go, yes, sir, I obey. That's how you grow in your will, uh, doing the will of God is recognizing his voice. Timothy, he's there, Adolfoi in the Greek, brother. He is a co-laborer with Paul. I love that. He, Paul developed close relationships with the people under him. The takeaway from that would be develop disciples with you and under you, people that you can teach and mentor along the way. Once you've read one verse of the Bible, you know more than somebody who knows no verses of the Bible. Learn to develop relationships. Then come to the church, become studied and approved so you can become like a spiritual mother, a father, like Paul became to Timothy. Let us be a church of disciples that make disciples. Can I hear amen? Timothy was a disciple of Paul. He was his brother. And then look at what Paul calls the congregation. It says it right here in verse 2. He says to the wicked and unfaithful brothers. Is that what he says to them? He says, you dirty, rotten scoundrels. You two-timers, you thieves and robbers. What does he call the church? To the and the faithful. When you are born again, you have one identity. You may act like Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sometimes, but you really only have one identity. When you're a sinner, you only have one identity. You're a sinner. I don't care how goody-two-shoe you think you are. You are going to bust hell wide open without Jesus Christ. And just as much as you were a sinner without the righteousness of God at all in you is as much as you are righteous without sin in you when you get born again. So hear what Paul says to you today and believe you're holy and you're faithful. Now live like it. Live like it. See, if you always keep saying, I'm busted and disgusted, I'm tore up from the floor up, I need a checkup from the neck up. If you keep talking like that, you're going to keep walking like that. Paul didn't say to the strugglers, to the barely get alongers, to the grumblers, to the complainers, but y'all still going to heaven. To, to the jacked up people that got tickets to glory. He didn't call you the jacked up people with tickets to glory. Like, well, at least you get to go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, you poor thing. He didn't talk to him like that. He said, hey, let's get something straight. You are holy. You are faithful. Keep acting like that because that's who God made you to be. 
You were either born again or you're not born again, friends. Which one are you? Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Are you on your way to hell or are you on your way to heaven? Amen. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Who are you? And this isn't plain make-believe. I don't think Paul was looking at people all dirty with boogies in their nose and jacked up hair. You're just so pretty. Look at how pretty you are. We're going to put you on Facebook as the prettiest gal I know. It's not like Paul's playing make-believe here. He's really saying, you are holy because Christ made you holy, as we're going to learn here. You really are faithful because on the inside of you is the fruit of the Spirit called faithfulness that wants to finish this race. It's not that I don't believe we can lose our salvation or mess it up and act dumb along the way. I'm just saying when we do those things, we're not acting as the children of God. Amen? And if you're not a children of God, become one because it's good to be holy and faithful. Now that you understand what it is to be holy and faithful, isn't it great that we have grace, charos, gifts given to us by God, and peace, Irene, without conflict between us and God. The Bible says that grace and peace to you from God our Father, which that means is here's all the gifts you need to be holy, and here's all the peace you need not to be at conflict with yourself or anybody around you. The Bible literally says that though we're in a battle, he has seated a table before us in the midst of the battle. Why? Because he's fighting the battle. When somebody conquers on your behalf, you're sitting down with the table spread before you. What does that make you? More than a conqueror. And that's what the Bible says. You're more than a conqueror because you don't do it. God does it for you. And he says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Somebody say, God's got my back. Did you know that the devil was already defeated? And therefore, whenever we take on the devil, we are standing in a victory that has already been accomplished on the cross. There is no arm wrestle between Jesus and the devil today. He is a defeated foe. The foot of Jesus Christ has crushed the serpent's head. You are victorious more than a conqueror. And don't let anything separate you from his love. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Grace, karos in the Greek, undeserved merited favor, gifts of God poured out on you from God our Father. And as you see in other places, through Jesus Christ. Peace, Irene. You ever feel like you're lacking the gifts, the abilities of God? You ever feel like you're lacking the peace of God? Just go back to the Father in Jesus' name and receive all that you can handle. Amen? Go back until you can't take any more, as the old timers used to say. Fill my cup, Lord. Let it overflow, Lord. Fill me up till I want no more. God can fill you with good things like that. Amen? Overflowing. The takeaway. The takeaway from there, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, is that you are called holy and faithful, and by the grace of God, you are given grace and peace by God the Father. Can I hear an amen? Now we're going to read a more lengthy passage, uh, verses 3 all the way to 14. So just track with the preacher here because it's so fun. You can tell Paul is a preacher. By the way, when they wrote, they didn't have punctuation like we do today. So you can see just how funny it is for the people to put our punctuation in there. He is the master of run-on sentences because he is a preacher. He is preaching. So from 3 to 14, like Apostle Paul ain't even taking a breath. You all tracking with me? So just follow through with it. You're going to see like it just keeps running on and on and comma and dash and all of these things. That's because he's a preacher. He's going to preach it to you. Are you all ready for Paul to preach it to you? Amen, Paul said, we always thank God, verse 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, comma, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, dash, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, period. 
He just preached for three verses. Y'all getting that? Come on. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and is growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our deal fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, comma, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this, that in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, comma, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, comma, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Somebody say amen. Isn't that awesome? I don't know what he said. You were reading fast. Let's go over it. Let's go over it. He says, we thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So now we instantly learn this relationship that God the Father has with Jesus Christ. Because God the Father is called God the Father, it doesn't mean Jesus is not God the Son. The Old Testament mindset was the Father was God. And so in the New Testament revelation, they're always introducing Jesus on an equality with God the Father. Just understand that. But it says when they pray, they're always praying through the Lord Jesus to God the Father, and they give thanks. Why is Paul and Timothy and the rest of these brothers so excited about the church of Colossae? Because they're living for Jesus. It says, verse 2, uh, verse 4, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. What is the takeaway there? We make our pastors happy, our leadership happy when we do those two things and we love God and we love people. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we love God's people, we are fulfilling what leadership over us is wanting to do. Paul was saying, as your apostle, as the one overseeing, I know you don't do it for me, but for me to teach you and to train you and for you to live this out, I give thanks to God on your behalf. Now, how many want me to go home tomorrow and pray to God like that for you? Don't you? God, I just thank you today for Adam and Alec. Lord, they're just loving you. They're loving your people. God, I thank you for the Rivera family. Just bring so much thankfulness to my heart because they love you. They love your people. Lord, I thank you for Metro Praise Irving Park because they love I mean, how many want to hear that to be the testimony of a preacher tomorrow? Your pastor. Do you want that to be my prayer? Or do you want it to be, oh, dear God, oh, Lord, get such and such out of the church. They're causing so many problems, Lord. Either take them home or take out their attitude, Jesus. And if you need help taking them home, I'm volunteering. Oh, you don't think preachers pre pray like that the next Monday with Sister Sassy and Brother Know-It-All? Come on, Brother Stingy Pants and all of those attitudes. You don't think we as preachers go home and go, dear God. These are your people, Lord. Help me love them, Jesus. Help me love them real good, Lord. Yeah. What, what testimony do you want among your leaders? 
That's the takeaway there, is that among uh, the leaders here, Paul and Timothy, they said of Colossae, man, whenever we think about you in prayer, we're so thankful because of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for the saints. Isn't that something how now, once again, he calls the rest of the congregation saints? Saints, huias in the Greek, holy people. These are not those who have, you know, lived on monastery hills and then die and go home to be with the Lord. And we pray to them now with little statues and we make little you know, little things they do. Now here's the saint of uh, lost keys. Whenever you lose on St. Anthony's going to help you out. Here's the, here's the saint of safety driving. You know, if you need somebody to help you drive safely, here's a little bobblehead saint. No, do you notice who saints are? Saints are the living people of that congregation. People like you and I. Where does that faith and love come from? Faith in God, love for people, faith in God, love for people. Where does that come from? It comes from hope that is stored up in heaven for you that you've already heard in the word of truth, the gospel. See, when you hear the gospel, there's a hope that comes. And you go, I hope that's true. I hope there's a heaven. I hope Jesus took my sins. And when you just offer a hope in what God is saying, then faith springs up from the word. By, by hearing the word of God, faith comes. And then now you can go, man, that hope? I got, a, I got a foundation to believe in. This faith is a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Hebrews, are you all listening to me? So where does our faith come from? It comes from the hope when we believe the gospel. Where does our love for other people come from? Why are Christians to love each other and not to take advantage of each other? I know we're not all perfect at it, but where is that supposed to come from? Our hope that one day we're all going to be together, that we're a family, we're a brotherhood, a sister, a family of creation. We're going to be with God. And so kingdom of heaven thinking starts now. Kingdom of heaven starts now on this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And once we have that hope, boom, love flows like a fire hydrant through your soul. See, faith and love come from hope stored up in heaven, given to us through the word of truth, the gospel, evangelion in the Greek, which means the good news about Jesus Christ. You can summarize the good news about Jesus Christ in this, his life of perfection upon this earth, his death for our sins, his burial and conquering of the grave, his resurrection bringing us life, and his ascension to heaven waiting for the judgment day to come where new heavens and new earth are created. That is the good news. When you tell somebody that, that's good news because if they believe that, they can be redeemed. Jesus can live inside of them. They can go to heaven when they die and wait for the kingdom to come literally upon this earth but until then the kingdom is in their heart are you listening to me since we've heard about your faith and your love and we're so happy about that and it comes from the hope that you had that was given to you when you heard the gospel verse 6 and it's gospel is going all over the world and bearing fruit and it's growing just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth have you ever studied out God's grace and all of its truth you could spend a lifetime and still not even get just a thimbleful of the ocean full of God's grace. He said, you started hearing about God's grace and all of its truth, and it blessed you. See, God's grace and all of its truth says sinners are born again saints. God's grace and all of its truth says he takes your sins and separates them as far as the east is from the west. God's grace says that though you are filthy and, and, and wicked, he'll wash you as white as snow. Though you've been born this way, you can be born again this way. All of the truth that comes from understanding God's caress, his undeserved merited favor and gifts, his grace. See, friends, don't get lazy in your study of the Bible and go, oh, yeah, I understand grace. God loves me. He changed me. That's it. I'm ready to move on to the next thing. What's the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Come on, Pastor. I want to learn about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. No, why don't you study out grace and all of its truth? 
And then you'll start acting in grace. You'll start living out of grace. You'll start conquering your problems through grace. Paul said, his grace is sufficient for me when he had a thorn in his flesh. Come on, somebody. Now you'll understand why Christians use the phrase, if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the grace. Somebody wrote a song about grace. You ever heard it? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He said, all the world, they're hearing this gospel just as you did, and, and you're understanding this grace and its truths. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You know what the takeaway from this is? Is that this dude wasn't even Paul, but he goes back and plants a church in his town, and now hundreds of people are serving Jesus. Do I have any Epaphrases in this place today that want to preach the gospel wherever they go and turn a world right side up for Jesus. If it was based on our amens, you did not convince me. I'm going to say it again. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Is there anybody in here that wants to be an Epaphras that goes and preaches what they heard in church and it changes the world? I love faithful ministers. Servant ministers, the same Greek word, doula, servant, slave of Christ. I love it because we understand there aren't big eyes and little U's out there. Big old eyes and little U's. We all can be servants of Christ. The greatest among us should be the servant of all, the Bible says. And we, like Epaphras, who are just on a business trip, can hear the gospel and bring it back home to our families and friends. You can be here today, hear the gospel, bring it back home to your family and friends, bring it to your job. You can hear it today and go share it. That's what Epaphras did, and he was faithful at it. That means he didn't, get, that means he didn't quit when Cousin Flacco cussed him out. Are you all listening to me? Well, you're blankety-blank God. He didn't, he didn't get upset when Cousin Nene had an attitude problem. Are you all listening to me? Or, or when Nicole had an issue or Barbara, whatever your families are named, okay, Aunt Joanne, you know. It didn't matter what happened. He said, I'm going to be faithful and preach. He said, and I'm hearing from him some good reports. He's telling us of your love in the spirit. This now completes the trifecta, boom, shakalaka, trinity right there. We have heard about God the Father. We've heard about Jesus, and somebody's scratching their head going, where's that ghost that's holy? Where is he at, the Holy Ghost? Boom, he's right there. So we understand in Paul's writing that these three are one. And I've taught my children. I want to teach you today as children of this church, as people growing in their faith. Here it is. Say this with me. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Spirit. These three are one. You see, I taught my children that because that is who our God is. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Spirit. And these three are one. We now understand that God is sending the Son. And the Son has purchased redemption. And now in heaven, he has sent the Spirit, as John 14 through 16 describes to us. So all the good works that we see now the believer doing are coming from the Spirit. And as a matter of fact, when we get to the heart of our series, the heart of this chapter, the hope of glory is Christ in you by that Spirit. For this reason, verse 9, we have, since we heard about it, we have not stopped praying and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, he's not only thanking God for what God's done in them. He's saying, I pray you get these things right here. I pray God fills you with knowledge of his will, and that will come through spiritual understanding and wisdom. So what we were talking about before, well, Paul said, I'm doing this by the will of God. How do you get filled with the will of God? 
By knowing God. And how do you get to know God? By the Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise. The Spirit will give you understanding who to marry, where to live, how to operate in life. And that's why we as Spirit-filled believers, we have the Pentecostal advantage. Amen? We get to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is the focus of our relationship. The Holy Spirit is not just somebody we put to the side and say, we're going to have church without him, make everybody else feel welcome but him, grieve him. No, for the spirit-filled believer, we're saying my life is in him. In him I move and breathe and have my being. I get filled with him. I understand God through him. I hear Jesus' words through him. He empowers me. He gives me energy. He gives me authority. I can't do nothing without the spirit. That's why there was a book written, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, to emphasize the dependence we should have upon the Holy Spirit every day, starting today, speaking to him as a person, saying, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Lead me today. Teach me today. Show me the ways of God today. I pray that you do that. As Paul prayed that for his people, I pray you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can walk worthy of what Jesus called you to walk, how he called you to walk, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Pastor, I don't know how to live for God. Develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Pastor, I get discouraged all the time. I want to quit on Christianity, develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He will strengthen you and enable you to walk a life worthy of God. Remember, you're called holy. You're called faithful. You say, I can't do that, but I got something for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Through Christ Jesus, you can do all things. That's the promise. Receive it. Amen? Receive the promise today that there is power according to his glorious might that will give you endurance and patience and joy that will all result in verse 10, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. The devil may say, who qualified you to, to be filled with God's power? You're just a sinner. Jesus qualified me to be filled with God's power. Who qualified you to pray and actually believe that you're going to receive what you're asking for? Jesus qualified me. How is it you get to go boldly to the throne room of heaven, but Satan got kicked out? Because we come in the qualification of Jesus Christ it's not in our righteousness but his righteousness he who knew no sin became sin for us that in Christ Jesus we might become the righteousness of God he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake Psalms 23 says God wants you to be righteous he's qualified you to be righteous and he wants you to be filled with his knowledge by the spirit for he rescued you from the dominion of darkness and has brought you into the kingdom Basilelia, the active rule and reign of Jesus whom he loves and whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin do I got any kingdom saints up in this house this morning do I have anybody in the active rule and reign of Jesus here? Basilelia is the Greek word for kingdom. The active rule and reign of Christ. Christ is king in my heart now. I bow to him now and he blesses me now. And one day we will all bow and he will change this earth. So bow now, my friends, because if you confess him as Lord and you haven't been saved, excuse me, on judgment day, if that's the only time you confess him as Lord, you will go to hell. But now those who confess him as Lord are saved. Transfer your alliance and your kingdom from darkness to light. Take your ring and your, uh, your starter jacket back to the devil and say, I break up with you. Delete him off your Facebook. Do whatever you've got to do. Tell the devil, we're over kaput. These boots were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. 
Come on, somebody. The takeaway that we have from this passage is we are continually to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through practical wisdom so that we may walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. What happens if I make a mistake? See, knowledge will teach you through the spiritual wisdom how to make that mistake right, how to bring restoration, how to repent, how to confess. It's called the spirit-led life. Can I hear an amen? Next passage of Scripture, and I'm running a little behind, so just let me finish it out here. He is the image, talking about Jesus now, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Isn't that awesome? For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace to his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and I of which Paul have become a servant. Somebody say, keep the faith. He starts off by giving us some of the most powerful language of the deity of Christ described anywhere in the Bible. He is the image of the invisible God. Image there is literally icon. He is the icon of God. We know idolatry makes icons, and these are false icons. But when you saw Jesus, you saw the icon, the exact image of the Father in heaven, not as a statue, not as something made with hands, but the eternal Logos existent before all time. When he walked in the flesh, he embodied the entire character and nature of God his Father. Even though God is invisible, the Father, and no one has ever seen him. John chapter 1 says that God, the one and only, has made him known. Jesus tabernacle pitched his tent alongside of us so that we may know him. That is who Jesus is. So he wasn't just a man born in a manger. He wasn't just a prophet. And he's not like Mormons or Hindus teach one of many gods. He is the unique son of God in the exact image of the Father. And by him, everything was created. Isn't that awesome? And for him, everything is here today. And everything is about him. In the church, he is the head in charge of everything in the church. Verse 19, the fullness of God dwelled in him. There was not one drop missing from who you saw as Jesus, from all that which God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. That is what you saw in Jesus. And all of his attributes, full of love, full of justice and character, all of God's fullness dwelt in him. And by his physical death, he reconciled us by that cross to him. And how does he present us to the Father? Without holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. You ever get the condemnation of the devil? You need to bring those condemnations back to Jesus in the blood and be set free. You ever feel bondage? You ever feel that you can't change? You ever feel like no one's on your side? That you're going through life all by yourself? The Bible says you are free from accusation. You have been made blameless as if you had never sinned. And you are holy in the sight of God. That is the truth. And to doubt that, call yourself anything less than that, is prideful, my friends. Because God didn't make no junk, baby. 
When he made you again the second time, you don't got to get born again, again, again. You've been born again the right time by the right father, and you are holy, blameless, and holy in his sight. Now learn to live like it. That's the beauty of what this passage is saying. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith. Sometimes people say, Pastor, can we lose our salvation? Yes, you can. Do we lose it by simply just sinning and doing bad things? No, because you can be forgiven of bad things. How do we lose our salvation is the same way that we gained our salvation. Through faith is how you gained it, and lack of faith, unbelief, is how you will lose it. Now, what is sin's relation to your faith? Sin without repentance, without confession, will harden your heart, and it will lead you to unbelief. That is why the believer should always repent of all known sin and remain in that state of holiness before God. You are not a dirty cup that God is scrubbing down every day trying to make you clean. When you were born again, you were born again holy, born again perfected in Christ, blameless, without accusation. One sin taints it. Repent and live a life of repentance. Otherwise, the sin will continue to taint your heart, dull your senses, and before you know it, the Bible says you will have a hard heart like a heart going into a cardiac arrest. Cardia is the Greek word. The sin will harden your heart and you will know not that God has left you. Samson did not know that God had left him because he continued on a path of sin. Judas did not know that God had left him because he continued on a path of sin. Alexander and Hymenaeus and 1 Timothy shipwrecked their faith because they knew not that God had left him. Keep a, a clean heart and a pure heart before God. Remain faithful to that gospel that you have heard in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? That's how you live for Jesus, baby. Oh, I love Jesus. How am I love some Jesus right now? Amen. We take away from 15 and 23. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He is the creator of all things and the perfect Savior of the world. Are you saved today? Are you saved today, my friends? Do you worship Jesus? Are you going to keep your faith? That's the takeaway. Now in closing, 24 through 29, I rejoice. Hallelujah. Come on. Anybody rejoice? See, Paul says, now I rejoice what I was suffered for you. See, we all as preachers, we suffer, but we rejoice because we know people are getting saved. Let's read it out. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. If you believe Jesus is in you, and this is the hope of glory, would you stand to your feet right now and give him a hand clap of praise. Come on, let's bless him. Thank you, Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? It closes out, Paul closes out this chapter with such a powerful set of verses. He says, I'm a servant in this church to do one thing, to give you the word of God in its fullness. How many here, here today the fullness of God's word? I mean, are you hearing this preacher preach to you today, the fullness? Not just because I'm going verse by verse, but is it corresponding with the rest of Scripture, the fullness? I believe it is. Paul said, I'm happy to do it. Because the greatest message 
that he said I had for you was a mystery, verse 26, that had, 26, that had been kept hidden for ages and generations. Mysterion in the Greek. Something that could be known but wasn't. So it's not something that is a mystery. When people say God has mysteries, the Trinity and all this, it doesn't mean we can't know it. It just means it's hidden to the onlooker unless they look deeper. It's like a mystery novel. The truth of the murderer or whatever case you're trying to solve is in that book. If you ever watch Lost or these TV series, I'm watching Heroes right now. Uh, it's a mystery what's going on. But if you stick close with the signs, you will see the truth is there. And what they didn't understand in the time of the Old Testament, this was a mystery, though the truth was there. Ezekiel brought it up as a promise. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Ezekiel wrote this many years before Jesus. He said, speaking on behalf of God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Getting moved by the spirit. Full of God. New heart. New spirit. Born again. You can think of that as your heart and soul. Heart being your soul. Your spirit being your spirit. I'm born again. Jesus is in me and he moves me. I feel him on the inside. It's not just a conscience of right and wrong because my conscience can deceive me. But no, the moving is deeper than that. It's the God of the universe in me and he moves me to obey him. That was a mystery to Ezekiel's people. The truth was there. I mean, you read it, it makes sense. But how is that going to happen? How is the great God of eternity who kicked us out of Eden because we ate an apple, who killed a man, Uzzah, because he touched the ark? This God is really holy. How is that God ever going to live in me? understand Isaiah 53 was right in front of him. He shall grow up. He shall then give his life for his people. He will be rejected and despised. They didn't understand that Jesus, God in the flesh, had to come to be the sacrifice, the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. I myself will provide the lamb, Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. I will be the lamb, the lamb slain. Revelation says, from the beginning of the world since creation. So here is the mystery now made real. How do sinners become saints? Because of Jesus' blood, he washes us clean he takes our wrath and then he comes and lives in us that's awesome that's the hope of glory and the hope of glory Christ in you the hope of glory both for Jews and Gentiles the hope of glory has two meanings the hope of glory was what they all were hoping for, and now we have it. We have the hope of glory. And glory, doxa, just means splendor and uh, things that are magnificent in this sense. So we get the splendor, the magnificence of God, the thing we've hoped and we have it now. They hoped for that, that Ezekiel time to come. And we have the hope of glory right now. 
But the Bible also says that the Spirit living in us is a deposit. It is the gift of God in us like a precious oil in a jar of clay, our flesh here. And so we're also hoping for a day when our bodies are resurrected and we get to see Him face to face and be like Him as He is and dwell with Him all eternity. So the hope that I have that that day is going to come is that He's living in me now. That if he did this now, if he kept his word to those Jewish prophets for 4,000 years and fulfilled it through Jesus Christ and the Father did it and it's here in me now, then I can have hope that there is a heaven, that there is a new earth because he's kept his word all throughout the ages. And then Paul said, we proclaim this to you. So he presents it to you as I have. Admonish you means to teach it to you so you can understand and teach and admonish you. They're very similar there. So that you can have the wisdom to get it and that he as your he as the pastor of Colossae and me as your pastor here may present you perfect, perfect to God. Pastor, I don't feel perfect. Confess your sins and be made perfect. I don't always act perfect. That's right. None of us do. But we can continue in that perfection by repenting of that sin whenever it comes in our heart. And then that day, which we don't like to think about, but one day we're all going to die. And if Jesus doesn't come back, we'll die individually. But the impression we get here from Paul is that on that day when judgment happens, he's not going to do it according to family. He's going to do it according to church. He's going to say, Paul, stand up here. What are you going to present to me, Paul? I gave you sheep to take care of. I gave you my people to teach and admonish. Paul, what will you present? And Paul's going to be like, is there anybody down here with the Colossi church? Boom, boom, boom. Come on. That may be how I would do it. And all the Colossi people are going to run up, and he's going to be like, Jesus, I'm presenting them to you. We cast all of our crowns to you. And there's going to be a reward for me on that day. That's why verse 27, uh, 29, to this end I labor. Everybody's got a job here. At least they should, right? You work hard. You've entrusted me, and this church has entrusted me, just like it did with Paul, to work hard for you. And my labor and my struggle comes with the energy of God, exousia, the energy and authority of God through me to you. I hope I did my job today so that if anything would happen to you, you could be presented before Christ perfect in your salvation. If there's anything today lacking in your salvation that you just don't believe it, you don't understand it, or you got junk in the trunk, before you go, would you let us pray for you? If you're going through a struggle and you need some energy, see, before there was energy drinks, there was the Holy Ghost. To this end, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You need some power. You need some energy. Dunamis, power in the Greek. Come up here and come back next week with friends and family. Let's go deeper. And I I encourage you, read it this week on your own and say, God, speak to me. Grow me. And the takeaway here today in general, believe the gospel. Believe Jesus is God. Believe Jesus is in you and you are holy. And now walk worthy of his calling in all practical ways by the power within you. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you today. Let us be like the church of Colossae and fulfill the desires that you have for us.
Guide us from this place. Lead us by your, your presence. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. Can you bless the Lord one more time? Thank you, saints. God bless you. We're going to sing a song and worship. You're more than welcome to stay or you're dismissed. But slap somebody high five before you go and say Christ is in you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Christ is in you.